Hi, and welcome to Self Help SatNav, the podcast designed to help you create significant and measurable change in your life. This show is brought to you by Open Forwards, specialists in helping you to work, love, play, and feel better. My name is Jim Lucas, and since 2003, I've been working as a behavioral psychotherapist. Each month, I talk to a guest about what they do to help their self. We cover well-being, mental health, relationships, work, parenting, and much, much more. You can also find out more about what we do over at www.openforwards.com. That's www.openforwards.com. well do you know what you care about? A number of years ago, my guest stumbled on a concept when he was helping a man suffering with a life-limiting condition. This made it impossible for him to do many enjoyable things with his son, like fishing. And so it brought up a deep sadness, because what he really wanted to do was to teach his son. This is what he valued as a father. At the time, they didn't know they were talking about values They called it the essential ingredients of what they wanted from life. And only later did they discover that connecting with values or life purpose was a hugely beneficial process that reduced human suffering. In this episode, we get deep. We get deep into the process of identifying and trying out values. Values are the very essence of who you want to be and how you want to be in life. They're the quality of actions in your choices. If you've ever wondered how to figure out just what you care about most of all, then listen to this episode. My guest today is Dr. Ray Owen. He's written two books, the most recent being Living with the Enemy, and this book teaches you how to cope with the stress of chronic illness using CBT mindfulness and acceptance. Ray has also kindly sent you a worksheet which you can help to identify your own values. Hello, Ray. Are you there? Hi, Jim. I am. Good to see you. Thanks for joining me today. Pleasure. Really appreciate it. So, as you know, the first question that I'm going to ask you today, Ray, is what's an example of a self-help tool that you've put to use in your own life? Well, I had to think about this, Jim, and I, I guess there's quite a lot of self-help tools I've used to try and help with individual problems as they come up or individual challenges but then what I came back to was a kind of broader tool a broader approach to trying to work out not so much how to cope with individual difficulties but how to try and make sure keep heading towards the things that matter most in life you know keep some direction and some purpose in my life especially when when circumstances change Hmm. So what do you do to draw your attention to that? Well, what I've learned to do is to keep a focus on the kind of things that that matter and the kind of things that matter most across a variety of situations. And before I got to the point of applying any of this to me, actually this came up with somebody I was helping once in my you know, in my in my professional uh, role, who was really struggling with the situation, and neither of us knew what to do. And so between the two of us, we kind of came up with a way of thinking about something that turned into to something kind of a, a bit bigger. Um, the, the guy in question, um, he, he, we could call him Keith, that wasn't really his name, but we'll call him Keith. Um he was an interesting guy. He was, um, you know, he was what I'd now think of as youngish. He was kind of on in his like late 40s. Um, and he had a, a very serious health condition uh, that was making uh, movement and breathing, lots of stuff really difficult for him. And in many ways, he was coping with it really well. Um, but what was gutting him was the realisation that something he'd really looked forward to Um wasn't going to happen. 
he'd always been a really keen fisherman. And one of his sort of dreams was showing his son how to fish, particularly like fishing off boats. Uh, and that was one of the things he'd always, he'd always look forward to. And by the time his son was getting old enough for it, um, it was become really clear that he just genuinely wasn't physically going to be up to it. He couldn't get on a boat anymore. He couldn't manage the cold. He couldn't manage the movement of the, of the water. Um, and this wasn't, this wasn't him sort of putting in blocks in his own way. It's just genuinely a physical limitation. And in order, amidst all the things that were going wrong for him and all his fears for the future, that was the thing that kind of all, all came together around. And yeah, he was. I suppose he was grieving for the for the loss of that and the loss of the um, the loss of this thing he'd anticipated and, and what it meant to him. And obviously, the, the first most important thing was to to acknowledge that you know to allow for that being sad and allow for it being a, a, a blow to him. But then we were trying to work out what to do next. And the way the two of us started talking about it was we tried to work out, the words we used then, was we tried to work out what were the essential ingredients. What was it that made teaching his son to fish actually such a big deal to him? And, you know, we had, we had to think through, and he, he had a careful think through, and came up with the idea that, as well as it just being pleasant and lots of happy memories for him, there was a couple of really big things in there. There was time spent with his son. There was teaching his son something that might be a part of his future. Even maybe, who knows, one day his son would teach his own children. Building a few memories together. As well as sort of, you know, love of the outdoors and, and, and love of nature. And those things kind of all came together in the, in, in the sea fishing uh, for him and the, and the teaching of his son. And that was why it hurt so much. It wasn't just about one activity. It was about feeling blocked off from those really important things. So what we did next was we tried to come up with something that would get him some of that. Wouldn't be the same. Wouldn't be as much fun. But would give him some of those things. And what we came up with was, well, actually what we came up with was two things. The thing that we came up with for most of it was teaching his son to play chess. So again, there'll be time spent with his son, passing on some knowledge. The idea it might be something his son would enjoy in later life, didn't have to, but he might. And building some memories together. Obviously, that didn't address the being outside bit. Um, but he kind of helped to teach his son a little bit about the garden. That helped with that. But the main bit was the learning to play chess stuff. And what the two of us realised was that although it wasn't as good as the fishing, actually had a lot of those essential ingredients. So away he went to do this and a few weeks later came back and, and sure enough he said, yeah, it was a shame not to be fishing. But actually it still made him feel a bit more kind of like alive and a bit more the father he wanted to be than he had for ages. Yeah, yeah. That's a really interesting thing to hear. How you helped him take a step back and see what was underneath what he wanted to do. There was yeah. This, there was this bigger thing that was more than fishing. It was about him wanting to spend time with and teach his son something. Yeah. Yeah, those were the kind of the, the real active threads through it, as well as, the, the you know, the, 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 the fishing-specific stuff. You know, he's happy memories of having enjoyed the fishing over the years. Um, but he really stuck with me um, because with a lot of the people I meet, they have either more or less successfully been getting on with life and finding a way of just doing their thing until their health changes and, and they can't do the usual stuff anymore. They can't work in the job they have before or they can't have the hobbies they, they, they had before. Um, and then it can feel like a, a roadblock's come down and that all of that sense of achievement or being a team worker or whatever they were getting out of their daily life has been blocked off for them by their physical condition. Um, and... 
people sometimes just stall at that point because they genuinely don't know how to get any of those things if they can't get them the usual way. And this business of um, being able to look for the essential ingredients, as we were calling it then, he and I were calling it as we made it up as we went along, um, that seemed a possibility and started being something that I tried with some other people Mm. um, um, that I was working with and seemed to help them as well. And then, um, much as I was loving that bit of my job, there's other aspects of my job back then, uh, this is quite a few years ago now, I became kind of unhappy in my job. There were bits of it, too many committees, too much management, all of that malarkey. Um, and I actually found myself getting kind of quite unhappy in, in my job and dissatisfied. Um, and came to the conclusion that actually what was happening was Although I could still see some bits of my job I loved, and there were other bits that, although I hated them, I could see they kind of mattered. I was trying to make you know, certain bits of the health service work a bit better, um, and that sort of mattered to me. And I got a chance to be a team player and support other staff, and that mattered. And it was bringing in reasonable money, and that matters because I wanted to, to you know, uh, be able to feed my kids, keep a roof over my head. Uh, and it certainly gave me status, and that was pleasant. Um, actually, what it was doing also was pulling me away from some things in my life, um, pulling me away from being able to spend a reasonable amount of time with my family, of being part of what goes on in the house, of supporting my kid through their sc- kids through their through their school years, um, and that was what was really getting to me, even more so than you know long hours or arguments in meetings. Um, so you realised what your essential ingredients were. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it suddenly sort of twigged, hang on, this is the same thing, isn't it? I had sort of essential ingredients of what mattered to me, and some of them were fine, and some of them I was moving, fur- drifting further and further away from, mm. uh, which left me in the position of a choice, really. You know, did I walk away from the thing that had you know, many benefits, really kept me away from some of those important things in my life um or did i take a different choice in which case which choice what else would i do instead um and how would i cope with the fact that you know it might bring in less money it might be you know less status might be bits of it less interesting um but thinking about those essential ingredients helped guide my choice Um, and in particular i think looking back let me know that I was actually moving, I was making that choice because I was moving towards stuff that was important. I wasn't just running away from uncomfortable stress. Mm. I was actually making a choice that had lots of the bits I already wanted, but was more patient work and more teaching, the bits I love, and allowed me to be at home and, and, and things like that. So if we're going to define a value here, you've, you've mentioned a few things, like the phrase essential ingredients. You've used the yeah. word choice several times. Yeah. How, how do you define values in your own words? Well, I mean, values is very much the word I'd be using these days. You're absolutely right, Jim. Um, funnily enough, it was, only, it was only later I discovered that other people have been working a lot on all of this approach, this psychological flexibility approach, where what I'd been clumsily calling essential ingredients, actually that whole concept had been um clarified a lot uh, and worked on a lot uh but using the word the word values um and you can see how that the two would kind of map across to each other uh, how i think of values is the kind of the qualities of how we want to act in the world so the ways you want to be so you know i want to be supportive i want to be uh respectful towards people I also want to be curious about stuff because you know, I really enjoy that. Um, and I want to be um, fair in things. So those will be examples of values. And I've been looking for things that gave me the chance to be that way. And in stuff I'm ending up doing, I, I would try to try to act that way. Um, and that gives you the chance to think in different situations how can you be that way? Hmm. 
So it's not just in work, or it's not just in your family life. Uh, it can be walking down the street. You know, are you treating people fairly? Are you treating people respectfully? Um, not because that somehow makes you a saint, but actually because it makes you feel more like you're living life the way you want to. So you can choose wherever you are. Often, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, a lot of the time. I guess sometimes, uh, you know, we, we, we're pretty much stuck on one track in a few moments. You know, if you're sat on a tra- you know in a train seat, there's only a limited range of ways in which you can affect your environment. But lots of the time there are choices that are available. And these values can kind of guide our choices um, in terms of how, how we interact with others, what we choose to do next. So you've given a couple of examples of applying this, one for yourself where you noticed you were enjoying your work environment less, and then mm-hmm. one for someone that you work with who had lost their freedom to kind of move and do things that they wanted to do. Yeah. So I, I can really see how connecting with values and that first example of, of, of where it worked for your client, how that's of use to him. Mm. It, it really did. Yeah, I think it really, it really, look, one of the things that we know and it's become clear and clear is a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning has all sorts of importances to a person. You know, we know that people with a greater sense of purpose tend to live longer, tend to enjoy better health, uh, tend to be more active, tend to be more mentally active into older age. And and thinking about our values as we're now talking about them, well, that's kind of one way of defining meaning and purpose. Because it's really tempting. If, if we ask the question, what matters to you? It's really tempting to start talking in terms of goals, maybe. You know, what matters to me is that, you know, I want to be the, the best marathon runner I can be, or I want to be um, the best gardener I can be. So that's kind of like a goal. Okay, that's, that's important. Or we talk. Yeah, and people, like, you know, when you asked that question, then I was thinking of the people in my life that are most important to me. That's, right. They matter to me. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. So, so, like, an area of your life, or a corner of your life, like your family or your friends or your work, or, or you know, something like a, a, an area of living. Yeah, that could really matter. And that can only take us so far, though. Because if we, if I say to you, you know, who matters to you most in the world, and you, you know, I'm not asking you to answer it, but if you were to say to me your family, your immediate family, then that doesn't exactly tell me what you need to do next. Because you might have a you and I might have very different ideas of how to be towards our families. I mean, I suspect we don't, but we might do. Um, so it could be that you would say, well, the most important thing of how to be towards your family is to be very clear, you know, uh, very good at giving rules, or very good at providing financially. Or you might say something completely different to that. So simply saying my family matters to me is it's interesting and relevant, but our next question really needs to be, and how do you want to be towards your family? And then that takes us into the heart of values and the choices that we make in our actions. Yeah. Now, we've, we've known each other for a few years, haven't we, Ray? We have indeed. So when you say, like, you probably suspect that we haven't got that different values or ideas when it comes to how we are with our family, that's kind of where that's coming from, isn't it? Yeah, that absolutely is. So I was thinking of if someone's already been living their life in accordance with their values, like for that example with that gentleman you were talking about, he's already spending time with his son. He's already teaching him. But then circumstances develop that mean that he can't. Yeah. What, What happens then? What can somebody do then? Yeah, and, and that's that's kind of I guess that's at a professional level where where my real interest engaged with this because working with people with serious physical health problems and, and generally speaking deteriorating physical health problems um, that's one of the big barriers. It's easy to talk about 
adjustment. But it's adjusting to see to big changes in our life and still getting a good quality of life is 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 the real challenge. Not just, of course, because of physical health problems. That could be because of relationship breakdown, uh, divorce, bankruptcy, redundancy, any big life change. One of the things that I've I've become more convinced of is that. Many of us are lucky enough, much of the time, to be in a position to live by most of our values well enough. And, and, and if we are lucky, we might end up in a situation where we're doing something that actually serves quite a lot of our values. So you might have somebody who says a teacher. And we all know the pressures and stresses that are on teachers uh, these days. And alongside that, uh, she has the opportunity to educate, obviously, but her values might include things like nurturing, being a team player, maybe being creative. You know, good teaching involves creativity. So these might be some of her core values, some of her most important values. And she gets them all kind of bundled up in that one role as a teacher. Then if we imagine that, unfortunately, for some reason, either the stress side of it gets too much or for physical health reasons or age, she has to stop being a teacher. Well, then there's a problem because there's a lot of those important values of hers, which she served through being a teacher, that at first look like they're not going to be served anymore. She's not going to be living like by them. So she's going to not have the fulfillment of vitality that living according to our values gives us. And actually, there might not be any other place, no matter how ingenious she is or a therapist is or a friend is in advising her, there might be no solution that serves all of those values at once. What we sometimes have to do then is, clumsily, we'll call unbundle those values. If they're all bundled up in the one job of being a teacher, now what we might need to do is sort of separate them out and say you still need the chance to nurture, you still need the chance to be a team player, you still need the chance to be creative, but you might not now be getting them all in one place. So the nurturing might be, who knows, gardening. The bigger team player might be helping out at the local lunch club for the, uh, for the, for the old age pensioners. Your creativity might be taking up watercolours. So now, actually, you'd be still serving all three of those values, but we've had to learn to serve them in different ways. So sort of, uh, as I say, unbundle them, but still make sure that there's not some important area in your life that gets neglected because your circumstances have changed. Yeah. And it's making me think about how people's lives change in different ways throughout their life anyway. Like... Like your children grow up and yep. so you lose your role as like a parent in the same way that it, that it was. And maybe that role was really important to you that gave you a place where you did all of those things. So then like, I hear what you're saying. You've got to find other ways in which you can do that. You still be doing that in a parental relationship, I guess, in, but, mm. but, but in different ways because you now your child is an adult. And that's really important, Jim, because that's... Um, um, one of the one of the potential traps is that even when we recognise our values and say perhaps you know being caring towards my children is one of the most important things for me, um, if that becomes like a rigid rule that we have to follow, this is what I do. I do it this way. You know, I care for them by knowing where they are every minute of the day. Never letting them out of my sight for more than five minutes. That might be appropriate when you've got a really active toddler in a sort of, you know, kind of potentially dangerous environment. Not so helpful when they move into teenage years. In fact, that's a recipe for you having worry and sleepless nights and for them being highly resentful of your over-intrusion um, and actually then potentially reacting catastrophically against it, you know, pushing away and becoming more risk-taking because, because of it. So the values can carry on, you're quite right, but we need to be careful that how we act on them doesn't get trapped in a cage, doesn't become a rigid rule 
um, that we follow. And you've got to be open then, I guess, to that living by a value can look differently in different contexts. It's yeah. not, it doesn't just look the same thing every time. Caring no. isn't always uh, giving someone a cuddle. It might be something no. else. It might be, you know, in the phrase that sometimes uses tough love. Sometimes, you know, it might sometimes, the most caring thing might be to tell the person the thing they don't want to hear. Yeah. Uh, that kind of protects them or prevents them from making a further a further uh, error. And that would, yeah, that would be the values uh, linked thing. But what our course takes us on to as well is the important recognition that values aren't just about, in fact, values aren't predominantly about feeling good. Mm. Moving towards our values doesn't necessarily lead to happiness in the traditional sense of the word. Um, to, to care for somebody who you love who is ill and to, and to be alongside them while they're having a really hard time is not fun. But it might be the most important thing you ever do. And it might be the uh, thing that gives you a great sense of fulfillment and rightness. But it's not necessarily going to be fun. Yeah. And I've been, In fact, I've been noticing, oh, cool. I've been noticing that through the the stories that you've been telling, that there's courage involved in them. Like for that man to kind of play chess with his son, he had to open up to noticing that. In doing that, he also wasn't able to fish with him. Yeah. And that that was painful. Yeah. Absolutely. It takes it takes a kind of acceptance. It takes an acceptance and a willingness to have the sadness and the grieving, but not let that paralyze us. Mm. You know, and notice there's something important that we move towards rather than all of our behavior being driven by moving away from the bits that's difficult. You know, I mean, I can, I, I contend often with people that the, that being present with the suffering of someone you love is actually the toughest thing that love will ever ask of you. You know, it's, being in love with someone's easy when it's easy. You know, when it's early on in the relationship and it's sort of skipping through the field and having picnics or going out for a drink, that's the bit where it's all um, euphoria and all feeling great, mostly. But actually being able to do the right thing by someone, not just because you know that's your values, you know that's your aims, but because you want to do that for that person, you genuinely love them, that's going to bring pain. That's going to be genuine emotional pain. And it's so important that we recognise that that's not pain to be moved away from. That pain is as... As, as 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 someone who, uh, who I look up to a lot, and I happen to know that you do as well, Jim. Uh, uh, Steve Hayes says um, there's as much living to be done in a moment of pain as there is in a moment of happiness. Mm. Particularly if it's the pain that's linked to our values around those or, or those things that we love. There's a real depth here, isn't there, to living by your values it's it's the thing underneath the fun that you said uh or it's the thing alongside the the fun that that's that's more difficult and and like we were saying pursuing your values can be painful i was just wondering i'm imagining that as you kind of get into like helping people with this struggle that some people might just kind of go it's too painful, it's too scary to start living in accordance with my values. And I was wondering whether you'd ever met people that had kind of got to that point and made that decision and just said, I'm not prepared to do that. It's too much. Yeah, I think I think that probably has happened. I think that's probably the point at which some people will say, this isn't for me or this isn't for me now or this is too much but I, equally I, 
I wouldn't see this as an automatic goal for everybody. That is, this isn't necessarily the thing that needs working on for everybody because lots of the times people are already to some extent living according to their values like I'm only ever to some extent and you are only ever to some extent. We're never perfectly on target with all of them all the time. It can get actually quite scary talking about this width and depth of stuff with people. Sometimes it's way easier to just focus in and focus in on one or two actions. You know, the one or two actions that are in front of their nose or that are problematic uh, or that have brought them in to seek help. Um, like, oh, I don't know, um, I'm finding myself drinking more than I than I, I wanted to or um, I'm finding there's a distance between me and my partner. Um, and rather than going fully into the depth of values we can actually focus right in on individual actions or it's sort of like um, organize it around a choice of action do you talk to the person rather than go off into another room and be quiet and we find we find bits of value stuff in that that help us inform us which is a move towards the way i want to go which is a move away from what i want to do um but then just work on how do you follow through on that act, that one little action rather than having to confront the big range of values yeah that makes sense yeah the smaller step yeah what what next small step do i need to make just for life to be a bit better yeah so i want to ask you ray um like clearly you've helped other people kind of connect with what they value what the essential ingredients are of what they want to do yeah you're a scientist a practitioner a psychologist who's <laughs> he's done this for himself as well mm -hmm. what guidance can you give to someone who maybe doesn't really know quite they're not quite sure what it is that is their value they're not quite sure okay. what the mean yeah. what's meaningful how can they go about kind of identifying that well there's a few ways actually um the very best way it's not necessarily easiest but the very best way is notice what brings you joy so notice what it is that gives you that lift that sense of vitality be more alive and then ask of it what matters most about that so, for instance, if you're at your most uh, alive at the when you I don't know, have a visit from a family member, you know, from a grandkids shop or something, then ask yourself, what is it about the trips? You know, what is it about their visits that matter most? And is it sort of being part of their life, or is it sort of helping them grow up? We can sort of sometimes extract, as it were, those values from. Um, from the things that either bring us the greatest joy or equally bring us the greatest pain. So the thing that really sort of pierces you to the heart, ask yourself, why has that bothered me so much? And it could be that it's unfairness, you know, to see somebody being treated unfairly. If that really, really bothers you, that tells you something about you. It tells you one of your values is probably justice and fairness. And doing some small act of working towards justice and fairness, maybe something that enriches your life so that's like the very best way of doing it is find them as they really show up in the moment there's other ways we could do it as well we can ask ourselves questions like um imagine if somebody was going to throw a big party in your honor and they were going to you know in five years time they were going to stand up and they were going to give a speech about how wonderful you are and uh, one of the things they were going to say was that if you don't know him so well, the thing you've got to know about Jim is he's always a very blank person. Now, what would you want him to be able to put in the blank? Well, all sorts of things, really, Ray. Um, so pick one. Uh, <laughs> my, my immediate vanity kind of, kind of rushing through my head at the moment, but uh, or pride. Uh, but what would, I, what would I really genuinely want people to say? That I am very... First word that comes to mind is thoughtful. Thoughtful. Okay, well, there you go. That's a perfectly reasonable thing, uh, word to have, isn't it? So, And that's, that can be a value. Because the thing is, you can have a thoughtful approach to many areas of life. 
you can have a thoughtful approach to parenting, a thoughtful approach to work, thoughtful approach to politics, thoughtful approach to driving. So that can be just a way that you, appro- uh, that you approach a whole range of things, as opposed to somebody else might have said, very impulsive. You know, very impulsive. I'm one of those people who's just spur of the moment, life and soul of the party. You never know what's going to happen next. That might really matter to someone else. And they would hate the idea of being thought of as a thoughtful person. And that's the thing about values. That from this point of view, from this way of looking at it, there are no right and wrong ones. There are just the ones that different ones of us have. The quality of the action you said earlier. So yeah. it's, 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 it's an adverb, isn't it? it to thoughtfully yeah. drive, it's the way that you do something. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. 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 And that's one of the easiest ways of trying to stay kind of clear on this. You're quite right. Is to think, you know, in English, you know, it often will be words that could end L-Y. Thoughtfully. Kindly. Yeah courageously creatively curiously okay you can't do that with every word english is a funny language so it's really hard to say with appreciation of beauty i think is a value and it's one of the things that really matters to me so you know if i uh, if i'm on holiday and i'm in a city amongst the other things many other things i'll try and do is i probably want to go to an art gallery because i like the kind of beauty you get in art galleries right um so that's a way that i do holidays um, and if I'm trying to design slides for a presentation, I try to make them look nice, not because it really matters that much, because it just, I like doing that. So that would be with appreciation of beauty, but I can't really just stick an LY on the end of that. Uh, I suppose you could say aesthetically, but... Yeah. Um, so it is that quality of action thing, because the beauty of that is you can apply that to lots of different behaviours. On, you, we can act honestly or caringly or nurturingly or respectfully, compassionately and flexibly. Do you think people have the same values throughout their lifetimes? Yeah, I wonder a lot about this. I wonder about that. I, I sometimes wonder if we have the same values from one day to the next at times. I sometimes think if I ask people one day and the next, I might get subtly different ones. I think there probably are... I think... They come into focus and out of focus. And sometimes we really discover new things about ourselves as we go through life. And sometimes that's just about a stage of life. Like, I think parenthood, if parenthood happens to us, is a stage at which we sometimes discover new things about us, ourselves. So we might have been somebody who's never really particularly wanted to care for pets or care for their environment or care for things. And then they find themselves with a small human dependent on them. And suddenly it becomes incredibly important to them. And so that kind of comes into a focus it never really was around before. Um, and sometimes they drift out, of, drift out of focus or disappear. You know, we have pe- people who have always been respectful and have seen that as a really important way of being in life. And then, you know, get later in life and listen to think, you know what? Don't care anymore. I'd much rather be irreverent and cheeky. Um, and so yeah I think I think probably they do change but I do think there's a kind of a a continuous thread there as well yeah you know you yeah I mean you're saying something that there about context uh, having an impact on values like what's going on in your environment who's in your life what your roles might be seems to kind of shape and influence what what suddenly becomes more important I think it has to, doesn't it? It has to. You know, I'm one of those people who thinks that there's not, at the end of the day, there's not that many things that shape a person's behaviour. There's what you're born with. There's your your history, or we'd sometimes call it your learning history, all the things that have happened to you and what you've learned from them. And then there's the situation you find yourself in now. And those three things kind of account for most of it, I think. Um, so I don't, I don't think, yeah, personally, I don't think these values come out of the ether. You know, I think there are things we learn. And we learn them from lots of places. You know, we might learn them from where you might expect, from our teachers or from, uh, you know, a priest or an imam or a rabbi or someone who t- who tells us stuff from, a, from a, a religious tradition. Or it might be someone we just admire. Um, I, I've begun to suspect recently that a lot of my early life values development came from Doctor Who. 
And the question, what would the... Which Doctor Who? Well, uh, yeah, yeah, probably Tom Dakey, you see, which which explains a lot. Um, So the question, what would the Doctor do? Uh, You know, although I kind of say it flippantly, uh, and it started off as a flippant conversation with somebody. It was one of those conversations you suddenly get lost in. You think, hang on a second, I think there's something here. Because uh, I was trying to explain why, you know, as a sort of a moral figure would always, you know, take the side of the underdog, would try and solve a problem through sort of guile and wit rather than, than force, um, would always look to violence as the last option for solving something, but would always end up turning up where there was trouble and people in need. Mm-hmm. Those aren't bad qualities in life, are they? Um, so I think where we get our values from is kind of anecdotally interesting, but on a day-to-day basis, the history of them isn't that important. Yeah, it's it's what's here and to what extent are people able to find ways of living by them under their current circumstances, and for those who are in the helping professions or those who are just supporting our friends, how can we help our friends to live the life? in the way that they would want to, even if that's subtly different to how you or I would want to. So I think the message you're giving here is spend some time identifying them through the ways that you offered and then be flexible with them. Follow your experience. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. hold, you know, um, um, as another another of our uh, joint colleagues would say, you've got to, uh, with values, you've got to hold them lightly and pursue them vigorously. It's Kelly Wilson. Um, and and yes, there are all sorts of ways it will differ from different people, whether just that awareness is what's going to move a person forward or whether you are better suited to something like keeping a diary and and sort of noting down some of your values and, and perhaps even setting yourself a challenge. Tomorrow, you know, recently I don't seem to have done anything towards creativity, being creative. Right, so tomorrow I'm going to do something more creatively than I normally would. Now, what's that going to be? You know, it could be just cook a meal and, and, and not follow a, a recipe. Um, or it could be dressed differently. Or it could find a different way to work. So we can set ourselves kind of focal tasks. We can also do, there are out there um, um, kind of worksheets and lists that can just... They're not going to change how you do things, but they can help prompt some of the thoughts of what might be values and what sort of things you might be able to do with those. So there's certainly stuff that could be available for that. That's Fabre. I mean, this is this is fascinating, I think, what we're talking about here. We're getting into the subject of what matters to people at a, at a, at kind of the deepest level we've got into in this show. And hopefully it's kind of really rich thinking and learning for people. And I really appreciate the way that you've looked at, given some examples and looked at how people can identify their own and some of the things that they can start to do. I think people are being kind of inspired by that. Good. Oh, I hope so. I want to mention your book. Well, I believe you've written a couple of books, Raymond, haven't you? I have two. 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 One I have in my hand is Living with the Enemy, Coping with the stress of chronic illness using CBT, mindfulness and acceptance. So this came out a few years ago, didn't it? Uh, I think that one was probably about two and a half. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, three. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was particularly looking at uh, where people have long term health problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that could be a range of things, you know, but things like, I don't know, diabetes, um, chronic bowel problems, lung difficulties, uh, chronic fatigue type problems. Um, and in using some of the stuff that we've just been talking about and some other things to deal with the stresses that that brings. Um, a couple of years prior to that, I did write a book called Facing the Storm, which, again, some similar techniques, including talking about this value stuff. Uh, but that was looking at other life crises. So um, either very major upcoming life crises, like uh, like uh, very serious illnesses, acute and, and possibly fatal illnesses, but also things like divorce, bankruptcy. So there, the, the, the kind of the idea is when you know something really bad's coming, 
we can end up feeling paralysed. But there's actually loads that we can do to try and manage the impact for ourselves of the people around us. So what can we learn from those people who've had to do this with, say, cancer and things like that? How, what can they teach the rest of us about how to stay resilient when your world's kind of falling apart? So that, yeah, that's the first book. That's Facing the Storm. They're fab contributions. I've enjoyed reading this book. I like the structure. I think it's very simple to follow. Oh, thank you. And the experience of going through the book was, it felt like I was being gently led through the learning of, and uh, the reflections, um, whilst also being direct as, mm. as well. And I guess that kind of, it overlaps my experience of talking to you today, Ray, as well. <laughs> kind of have that, that consistent feel to it in that way. Um, and, uh, and something else that stood out to me in the book is, is, is some of the repetition, like the deliberate repetition to certain yeah. concepts. Like, like you make the point of saying that um, long-term health conditions are not all in the mind. Like you emphasise that several times and I get why and I, yeah. I can see the importance of that in terms of repetition helping somebody to really learn and embed a concept. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I mean, I think that's right and, and I think... Um, I think it's something in this day and age we've come to undervalue is... is it's not so much the repetition as the consolidation. Yeah. Uh, but we, we've got... I don't know what it is, but it's this information age or what it is. But we've got the idea that you say something once and that's definitely in there. Well, actually, you know, sometimes the more important stuff needs to be said more than once just to indicate that it's... It's the more important stuff yeah. and the more central stuff. The other thing, of course, you've got to think, I don't know about you, but when I dip into books like this and I've got a shelf full of books like this by other people, I don't necessarily read them front cover to back cover in one sitting. I probably dive in and read what looks like an interesting chapter or read like something that might relate to me at that moment. Mm. So it's no good that the absolute key point was said on page one and I, isn't repeated when I read the bit on chapter nine so i think that's the other reason slightly for the um uh consolidation we could say repetition do you have any tips that you'd offer about how other ways that people could consolidate their learning perhaps around values we can't we can't best make these choices purely inside of our heads Values are ultimately about how we act in the world. They're the things that help reinforce and reward certain things that we do in the world. So unless we're really paying attention to what's happening around us, as well as inside of us, then it's just an abstract idea that we've had while we've looked at a page of the book or listened to a few minutes of a podcast. So actually the most important thing to do is work on our awareness to be tracking what's going on around us, noticing what works and what doesn't work, and also noticing the thoughts and feelings that are inside of us. Because only then can we note it, make the connection between our behaviours and our values. One of the things that we have learned in working with people is that it's great to do things that are compatible with your values. But you only really get the big payoff when you do it whilst making the connection with your values, whilst the value is brought into the present awareness whilst doing it. So staying aware and noticing, and that's where things like, say, mindfulness can be really helpful alongside values because that gets you really good at paying attention and noticing what's going on inside of you and around you. So that would be my advice for something that could kind of increase the impact of changes in looking at values yeah so doing stuff but doing it with awareness doing it mindfully. yeah yeah great yeah fab um any new projects that you're working on ray you want to tell us about um i've got quite an interesting project at the moment where i'm working with some of my colleagues who are um not psychologists not psychotherapists but are uh, nurses and occupational therapists and physiotherapists working in um in uh, hospices and in physical health settings in hospitals 
where the aim isn't to sort of try and do psychological therapy with people, but just to use some of the principles we've talked about today, including things like values um, and other things about how to deal with difficult thoughts and feelings, but just build them into natural conversations that a professional has with a with a patient when somebody's expressing their distress or their difficulty rather than turning it into a small bit of therapy yeah yeah so trying to inform the what we call inform the clinical conversation but from these principles but still make it a natural interaction between two people rather than uh building it into being a a a bit of therapy that's what we're working on at the moment yeah, I like the sound of that. You know, makes sounds like it would make it much more accessible to people. Yeah, yeah. much more practical, Hopefully. And realistic. Yeah, yeah. And so you work in the NHS, but you also work privately. I do a little work privately. Most of my um, most of my non NHS work is actually um, teaching and training. And, and supervision of other um, psychologists, nurses, um, 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 whatever. Um, the majority of my work is within the NHS, and that's kind of where a lot of my heart is. Okay, yeah. And if people do want to get in touch with you, Ray, what's the best way? Um, I um, I have a website. Um, and, and I think, Jim, you, you'd offer to put the, the link up on. <laughs> we'll put the website address in the show notes, Ray. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay, so what happened then was a memory slip. What happened, <laughs> the memory slip was I never typed that web, that web address in. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure it's Dr. Ray Owen, but we will, uh, we will put, the, <laughs> put the correct one in. I would definitely look that up and get the correct one in, Ray. Yeah. Um, so yes, if people want to get hold of me, there's a, there's an email address there, particularly in terms of if they want pointing at things. You know, as as I say, I'm not in a position to do a lot of uh, uh, private therapy, unfortunately. Just that's one of the things I don't have a lot of time to do. But I can certainly point people towards things that might be helpful to them. Fab, great. It's been a pleasure, Ray. Thank you for joining me today. Um, I really appreciate it. Thoroughly enjoyed it, Jim. And um, I'll hope to see you soon. Take care. You will indeed. You will indeed. Thanks, Ray.